Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Good. Oh, actually, it's good evening. Good evening, and this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. I'll say that one more time. We are here to challenge you to live and think for yourself, not convert you. I've been gone for a while. I am now back, and I'm ready, and I'm feeling good. We did a show a few weeks ago talking about that Kanye West, you know, what was the show? We are black free thinkers, but not the Kanye kind. And let me just go on and add a little bit more to it. As for me and my black free thinkers, we shall read books. Okay, let's just make that absolutely clear. We read books around here. And well, many of us do. You know, I think there are some people who rely on me to, to read the book and then to come and tell you about it. But that's all right. It's all good as long as you're learning. As long as you're learning, as long as you're growing, all of those things, that's all that matters to me. So I just wanted to come back and let you guys know that I'm doing okay. I am in a much, much, much better place um, in life. You know, things are just working out lovely. I'm happy. I'm happy to report that I'm just freaking happy. So it's a lot of things that we have to go over, so much that has gone by, so much time, so many missed shows, so many missed news stories, but... I was in Europe for two weeks. I was in Amsterdam, actually, for two weeks. We took a day trip over to Brussels, Brussels, Belgium. And we were there for the inauguration of the Patrice Lumumba Square over in Brussels. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar, Patrice Lumumba became the prime minister of the Congo. And basically, he declared independence and Belgium... Basically, they took place in his assassination, and his assassination is one of the most important assassinations of the 20th century, and a lot of Americans, you know, are not familiar about what happened with him, so please take some time out to familiarize yourself with Patrice Lumumba from the Congo and why he's extremely important and and what he did, what he was able to overcome and his you know his his meaning to the congo and and why this inauguration was extremely important they've been trying to have these dedications and have these statues and these squares and all of this you know for different abolitionists all throughout europe and it's been resisted so this was the first one, so that's why it was very important to attend. And I put a video up there, you know, showing them singing a little bit, but I have pictures of the statue and everything and some of the people, the protesters were there. It was just really interesting. So go and take a look at that. And the day after that, it was the Keddy Koti, the Emancipation Day for um, Afro-Dutch people over in Amsterdam. And I posted some pictures of that, but go out and look at the history of that. I think I posted even a couple of little videos there. But, you know, 
at this point in time, you know, there are a lot of us that are trying to find each other. It's a lot of us trying to share these stories and get a better understanding of one another. And so what was really interesting about all of that is I know at one point in time, you know, I was thinking about leaving this country, becoming an expat, but, you know, over the years, talking to different black Europeans, but especially with this last specific adventure, you know, and, and conversations that I had with some black Europeans, you know, they're having the same issues, if not more, over there. So for those who think that it's better over in Europe, no. That is not necessarily the truth. You know, and I'm not saying there are parts of Europe that are not better, but what I'm saying is I would strongly advise that you do your research, your due diligence, talk to people from the region, talk to people from, you know, these different parts of the world to gain a better understanding of what's happening out here. Because, you know, after all of that, you know, I figured I may as well deal with the bullshit that I do know and I'm familiar with. So it's been interesting. But, you know, these are little thoughts that run through my head. So I just wanted to touch on that briefly to kind of let you guys know. Um, I went through the Black European Summer School, and I actually learned a lot. I felt like I had been thrown into the fire. But what I will tell you is that it was a wonderful experience Um, Kwame Namako, who's the program director, him, Camilla Mano, they did an exceptional job. They had some wonderful speakers that were there. I'll share more of that as time goes on and because that wasn't the focus of today's show, but I wanted to give them a shout-out and a shout-out to all the wonderful people that I've met there. And, you know, if you all are interested You may want to go and take a look, and you may want to think about taking that course. It's a two-week course, and it's phenomenal. You know, like I said, I've met some really wonderful people, and I'll be talking about some of them later, and a few of them I'm going to have on the show. Hey, Dr. Cherise, hey, Dr. Cruz, Dr. Jasmine, all of you guys. Oh, man, I can't wait to get you on the show. And many, many more. It was about 45 of us there this year. So that was, you know, quite an accomplishment for a small program like that. So I would love to see them get bigger as more information becomes available for the next class for next year. I will share that with you. I'll make sure to share that information with you. And as a matter of fact, I'll be in the same region again next year at the same time. And so basically, you know, I'll I'll drop in and probably sit in on a couple of sessions. So for those who are thinking about going, you will see me again next year for at least one or two sessions. So that's how much I enjoyed it over there. Amsterdam is absolutely beautiful. And I want to move on, but I got to tell you all at least about this one story. So... You know, I was catching the train, the tram, you know, the bus, like I was a pro. I figured my way around, all of that fun stuff. But, you know, when we went to Belgium, when we went to Brussels, we had a wonderful tour guide, Aline, and she was one of the participants in the program, too. And she took us around, and she was absolutely wonderful, absolutely beautiful. And I will, you know, I would like to publicly thank her for taking time out and 
you know, everybody was beautiful, and I just had a really good time. Hi, Patience. Hi, Darion. So, I mean, Jasmine, hey. It was just great. Barbara, I can't forget about Barbara. Hey, girl. So it was, man, it was a once-in-a-lifetime type of experience. So I just wanted to share a little bit of that with you guys because I was very happy. But let me tell you what happened. So one day I decided, ah, I wanted to go and do a little shopping. You know, I wanted to buy some clothes or whatever, right? So, you know, I walked myself down to the tram area, the waiting area, and it was just me, which was fine. And then this, you know, white guy came, and he went to the other side of the island. So that was fine until I turned around and took a really good look at him. And, you know, it was one of your natural-born skinheads. And all I was saying in the back of my head was, oh, shit, right? And so what was interesting is right there, at the end of the island, he was on the smaller end. On the other side of him was my safe space, the hospital. And so in order for me to get fully secure or fully to my safe space, I was going to have to go around this guy. But I figured we could call it as this at the tram stop, you know. But then all of a sudden he started doing that fast pacing thing. And on all the different documentaries and shows that I've seen, when they do that pacing thing, that means some shit is about to break loose. And I'm sitting there like, oh, fuck, I'm happily ready to damn shit my pants because I'm like, you know, I ain't got the strength to outrun or fight no damn skinhead today. And so I'm like, all I wanted to do was go and buy a couple of outfits, damn, you know. So I'm sitting here in the back of my mind halfway panicking, right? And so this brown guy walked up. You know, I, I think he was Latinx, but he could have been something else. I don't know. So it's this brown guy. And so he sat inside of the enclosure, and I was outside of the enclosure because it was really warm that day, so I just wanted some fresh air. And so when he sat down inside the enclosure, I took myself over into the enclosure with him. Like, ooh, okay. But then he pulled out a cigarette. And I'm like, oh, well, damn. So I had to get up and walk outside of the enclosure because I'm more afraid of the secondhand smoke than I am of the skinhead, right? I know that may make no sense to any of you guys, but when I'm around cigarette smoke, secondhand smoke, I get sick. And at that point in time, I had already been exposed to some cigarette smoke. So I was already coughing up a lung and just going through the motions. So that wasn't going to help it. But then, you know, the skinhead guy, he was still pacing, but not quite as fast and erratically, right? And I'm like, what the hell? And I'm like looking at the brown guy, I want to snatch the cigarette out of his hand and tell him to pay the damn attention, right? Well, not the damn, but, you know, we'll, we'll say that. And then, you know, the guy is still pacing, and I'm like, you know, ready to break out into sweat because not really being sure how to handle this situation. And then here comes this short, petite, white woman. And she stood next to me on the other side of me, so between me and the skinhead. And the skinhead, you know, he stopped pacing at that point. But I still wasn't quite sure, and so I was laughing and teasing with some friends because I was saying that that white woman was predestined to become a human shield at that point because, you know, look, 
I was not about to fight no damn skinhead. All I wanted to do was get back to my safe space. But um, I just wanted to share that information with you because you have all of these different events. You have all of this white nationalism, all of this white globalism happening all over the world. And as I told you guys over the years, and I would post these different articles about, you know, the white nationalist anti-Semitic marches through Europe or throughout France and Italy and Germany and, 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 you know, a number of different places. And there were a few of you that got angry and upset. Why are you posting that over there that has nothing to do with us over here? And my response to you then, just like my response to you now is, Yes, it does. It's coming to a city near you. And this is what has happened. For those of you who are not aware, we are coming up on the one-year anniversary of the demonstration in Charlottesville that resulted in the death of a white woman, right? And you all need to keep an eye on that. And for those of you that have not seen this, I don't know how you haven't seen it, but you know it's possible, but white nationalists, as a matter of fact, one of the organizers of the Charlottesville, you know, Tiki Torch Parade folks, basically they applied for a permit in Washington, D.C. for August 11th and 12th. They're going to have a civil rights march, a march on Washington for disenfranchised and angry white men and, you know, some of you angry white women. So, Keep an eye on that. Pay attention to that. Pay attention to what's happening. I mean, it's right around the corner. So it's important that you guys pay attention to what's happening. And it's not just that. There are different white nationalist events happening around the country, and they have been. This has been ongoing. So I don't want you all sitting over there in a bubble or have your head stuck up your ass. You need to pay attention to what's going on out here because, again, you know, quite a bit of this is happening under your noses, and you need to be aware, you need to pay attention to what is happening out here, what's going on, why it's important to you, and why, yes, it does have an impact on you and your life. It has an impact on your friends and your family, even people you don't know and some of the people you do know that you may not like. It does not matter. This is having an impact on our lives and on our quality of lives. So it's important that you guys understand that. So I've talked enough about those things right there. I wanted to acknowledge um, some of the things that are happening. I'm not sure, you know, how much attention some of you all are paying, but all hell is breaking loose in Chicago. Okay, so basically over there on 71st and Chappelle, for those who remember or understand Chicago or know it rather well, it used to be a church, Monument of Faith, Pastor Richard Hinton, used to be right there on 71st and Chappelle, right there, it's right off of Jeffrey Street, that area of town is called South Shore. So it was a young man, um, a local barber that everybody knew, his name was Harris Augustus. Again, Harris, H-A-R-I-T-H, Augustus. And he was right at 71st and Jeffrey, so right there. And basically he was killed by the police. And, you know, they were trying to claim that he was selling loose cigarettes, just brings back flashbacks of Eric Garner. And basically he was a licensed firearm owner with a conceal and carry license, right? From my understanding, he had the conceal and carry license. And the Chicago Police Department basically was saying that 
he displayed like uh, basically some characteristics of somebody who may have had a concealed weapon, just some bullshit, and they're trying to control that narrative. But to make a long story short, there were some protests in the area, and there was a protest line. So for those of you that have never been out there to protest, when you're out there, the police, basically they delineate different areas. They'll put little boundaries, they'll close it off, and you're expected to not cross a particular line. So they'll make a police line, a blue line there, right? Well, what happened was the police charged their own line, and they attacked the protesters, there are videos all over the place. And, the, you know, the Chicago Police Department put out an edited video clip with no audio and, again, trying to control the narrative. So, anyway, getting back to that, they charged the protesters. They were beating people. They were chasing people down. People were running into the stores and hiding. They were chasing them all over the place. It was a lot of harm. So I want to give a shout-out to Black Lives Matter Chicago because they've been doing a lot of work, um, and they're out there in the trenches, you know, um, exchanged some emails with eight, not emails, text messages with Ace one today. So they're supposed to be releasing a statement. As soon as I get that statement, I'll post it everywhere that I can find. I know it's going to be a press conference Monday. Hold on a second here. It's going to be a press conference Monday on, let me see here, 71st in Chappelle, and I'm looking for the time. I think it's 4 or 5 o'clock. I apologize for not having that in front of me immediately, but it's going to be a press conference by Black Lives Matter Chicago. And so I want you guys to pay attention, and Black Lives Matter Chicago is working in conjunction with Chicago Bail Bond. And so they're bailing people out, and there is some other activity out there. They're wanting to talk to the people that were beaten by the police, uh, people that were arrested. They want to get their stories. But it's going down in Chicago. You know, the abolitionists and, you know, the protesters up there, they're, they're being harmed. They're being hurt. And so, um, you know, you had different people that were releasing statements asking for calm, um, Dorothy Brown, who's running for mayor in Chicago, um, she released a statement. There are a bunch of different statements that have been released. But I need for you guys to, uh, you know, understand what was happening. Now, the young man was armed, but he had a conceal and carry license. So he was authorized to carry that weapon, and he never reached for it. He ran away. And so, you know, again, I'll... I'll you know, basically you have these people who are automatically going to um, support and defend the police, but that's fucking suspect, you know, because they are out here killing black and brown people with impunity, and it has to stop, you know, and, and, and if you go back and you read some of the accounts of it, they, the police shot him in the back. He ran away. They shot him in the back. Okay, so I need you guys to pay attention to what's happening up there. Um, send a shout out to Black Lives Matter Chicago. They need some donations, send some money, their ways to find their information all over the place. But as soon as I get the statement from Aislinn, I'll put all of that out there. You know, I'm looking forward, but it's going to be on Monday, 
I'm 71st of Chappelle. I'm looking for the time. My apologies. It's here somewhere. But as soon as I find that information, I'll post it and make sure the information is out there so that you guys, um, the ones that are interested in attending the press conference, you'll be able to do so. But, yeah, you know, Chicago Bail Bonds and Black Lives Matter Chicago, they're raising funds to um, help the people that were injured, bail people out of jail, um, and, and a number of other things in regards to this particular situation. So go out there, take a look around, and see what the hell is happening because it's absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, huh, you know, um, this shouldn't be allowed to happen. It doesn't matter if it's Chicago. It doesn't matter if it's Sacramento. It doesn't matter if it's New York City. This should not be happening, especially when you're when you're able to take down, you know, a serial killer. You know, you're able to take him down without killing him. When you have these mass shooters, you're able to take them down or take them into custody without killing them. But automatically, black and brown people, you know, prominently black people who are shot on sight, no questions asked. You know, there are videos of police officers saying that they kill black people, and they know that they're going to get away with it. You know, and speaking of that, you know, white people, let me tell you some shit. You're out here, and you're calling the police on black people like nobody's business. You've always done it. But now, you know, people are videotaping it and pulling the information. 911 is not customer service. I'm not sure who told you that, but 911 is a customer service. And for those of you that are out there and you have the police called on you, you do know that you can get those um, police calls. You can get that recording. And I would like to start advising black and brown people out there, start suing the assholes that called on you. If we started suing them, put laws on the books stating that they can be sued and, and, and not use all of these, you know, excuses or try to find ways to get around being sued, you know, we start suing them in mass, this type of shit will stop. And you have these false police calls that are out there. It's absolutely horrible. You know, you have, you know, grown white people calling the police on eight-year-old black babies. You know, and and I think it was one video of a four or five year old, and you know they were the the white woman was stating that oh she was just acting as though she was going to call the police, and it doesn't matter if you were acting like you were going to call the police or not. It's still violence. It is still harm. So, and you know exactly what you're doing. You know exactly what you're doing. So I wanted to you know bring that up. I want people to go out. I want them to take a look to see what's happening out there in Chicago and other cities near you. Chicago isn't the only place that has protesters out there um, fighting for people that have been unjustifiably, you know, wronged by the police. And not only that, you have people out here protesting for a number of different reasons. Um, Another thing I wanted to bring to you all's attention is what's happening in Haiti. The prime minister in in Haiti had to resign. Go and pay attention because the American media has basically blacked this out. And so go read, find out what's happening, you know, and 
it's just been it's been horrible. It's been horrible. You know, I'm seeing all of these videos about the you know the videos with them just chasing the black people and beating them. You know, for absolutely no reason at all. And what's interesting, you I've heard some black people say, "Oh, well, Rahm Emanuel, fuck Rahm Emanuel." And let me tell you that that so-called protest that Father Flager had on the highway, you know, that was a state-sanctioned protest. So it was approved by Ron Emanuel, you know, and Jesse Jackson was out there with Father Flager. And so when you have the mayor, you know, Ron Emanuel, one of the biggest white supremacists that you'll ever find, approving your protest, when you have the powers that be approving your protest, something is wrong. You're doing something wrong. So um, I want you guys to go out, take a look, see what's happening. But that march that Ron endorsed, you know, that was on some bullshit. You know, um, you know, you can't talk about the march that Ron endorsed without talking about what happened just recently with Harris Augustus. You know, and the protesters that were beat by the police. Ron's police. How about that? And, uh, you know, it's just so much, so much happening. So much happening. Um, This is one of the reasons why I state that, you know, I'll go out and give these talks here and there every once in a while, but I get no joy out of doing it because nothing is changing. And so I've come to believe that quite a few white people, you know, they they want to hear black people talk about their pain, talk about their oppression. And what's so unfortunate is that some of these white people actually get a thrill out of this. When they see black and brown people being killed and harmed and, and violated, some of them get a thrill out of it. And so, you know, it's, it's like porn to some of them. You know, some some of them get this enjoyment out of it. And I'm not going to be a vehicle for that. I'm just not. And I've made myself clear about this over the years. Now, it's not about the money with me. It's not about the celebrity. None of that shit makes any difference to me. And oh yeah, for those who may want to call in, the telephone number is 312. I'm sorry. Three one zero nine eight two four two seven three. Again, three one zero nine eight two four two seven three. You have to press one, and and then I'll recognize your your request to be heard, and we'll go from there. But um, now you have some people out here; they're so desperate to be put on that they will say and do anything to get the attention of the powers that be or the moneyed white people. And, you know, even even to the extent of recapitulating talking points that are basically harmful and violent to the very communities that they represent. And the thing is is that some of them are doing it willfully. They know exactly how 
and why some of the talking points that they recapitulate, they understand why it's dangerous, why it's harmful, why it's violent, and yet they continue to make these same talking points and even more egregious ones over the years in their effort to remain relevant, to remain in the spotlight, to remain in the forefront, even to the detriment of those around them, and in some cases, even to their own detriment, because they rationalize in their mind because somebody, some white person has put a new battery pack in in their back and told them that they were special and told them that they were exceptional. Let me tell you, they fucking lied to you. They lie to you, especially in America. Everybody wants to think that they're fucking special and exceptional. That's a myth. American exceptionalism, American meritocracy, those are myths, and they're straight-up lies. So you can go on and keep believing that bullshit and drinking the Kool-Aid if you want to, but I'm more than positive you don't have a few nigga moments, and you're going to have some more. So you keep on with that. Keep believing that shit, but again, at the end of the day, you're willing to take those hits if it's going to put you on, you know, if it's going to put you on and put the spotlight on you, which you are so desperate to have. And, you know, again, some of you are out here, you're willing to sing and dance and, and, and put on, you know, oppression, passion plays in an effort to raise money for your pet projects or whatever the fuck you're doing over there. You don't care and especially some of you that are out here claiming that you are pro-black, that you are, you know, with black people. You're out here. You're a social justice activist. You're a community service, you know, worker activist. You're just down for the community and all of that. Bullshit. You're out here for yourself. And I need for some of you all out here to listen to this and pay attention because you have a number of people that are out here. Let me tell you, the majority of these folks are actors, and they're going to play whatever damn role they got to play to get whatever they, what the hell it is they're trying to get and to achieve whatever it is they feel like they're trying to achieve. In the meantime, they're fooling you. They're put, you know, they can, they can, you know, produce tears, you know, in a matter of seconds. So, you know, on demand. So, again, you need to pay attention. So, anyway, let me read this, you know, what I wrote about the show today. So it says, Dear Black People, What's up with the white American and white people abroad love for 45? So please join us today as I try to play catch up and update you on a few things. You know how we do. I'm just going for it. What more evidence do you need that making moral arguments mean nothing to people who have a totally different definition of morality than yourself? What do you say when their white privilege means more to them than their God or holy book? How do you respond to the silent, moderate, liberal, and progressive so-called good whites who remain silent in the face of the wicked white supremacy that's on full display? How do you justify the actions of the so-called good white politicians who secretly agree with the changes that are being made and pushed by 45? They are too cowardly to say anything in public, but their voting records tell the real story. And so I said, ooh, we... So much to say, so little time. I'm going to start taking calls again unless you are on that bullshit. So if you're on that bullshit, you're going to get cut the fuck right off, or if not, just straight the fuck hung up on. So I just want to make sure that I make myself make myself quite clear to you because that's not going to happen today. I'm not feeling that shit. 
And, um, you know, what I find interesting and why I'm bringing this up specifically, you know, when, when I talk about, you know, white evangelicals, white Christians or so-called Christians and even whites, whatever other kind of religion some of you out there have, your white privilege means more to you than your God or your holy book, right? And, and it's evident. Evident by your behavior. And what I don't understand is when you have white preachers like Paula White, who's the pastor of predominantly black and brown, of a predominantly black and brown congregation, not only that, you have, you know, millions of black and brown people around the country, around the world, you know, looking at her as their spiritual guide, sending her money, and then she is sitting here and telling you to submit yourself into the authority of 45 because that is what the Bible tells you. The Bible tells you to pray for your government, pray for your politicians, pray for those who are above you in authority. Bullshit. Because, see, this is the thing. You know, you all want to you can talk all that shit if you want to, but basically the way I see it is this is, you know, Bible-sanctioned racism, Bible-sanctioned slavery, Bible-sanctioned fuckery all the way around. And it's been happening for years. We've been talking about this. And what I'm seeing now, I'm seeing more and more black preachers coming out and condemning what's happening with this particular administration and also with some of these preachers and pastors and leaders or whatever the hell you want to call yourself today out here telling black and brown people to take the hits that it'll be okay, let go, and let God. And the thing is, is that black and brown people have been letting go and let God and letting God all of these damn, you know, generations. What the fuck has that gotten us? 400 years of state-sanctioned violence, 400 years of institutional and systemic racism, 400 years of poverty. Let me tell you something. One of the things that we talked about extensively in that school over in Amsterdam is basically with blacks in America and blacks all over the world, because, you know, we were talking about when we hit this specific topic, we were talking about black people in France specifically. And basically, when you have these countries in Europe, they will tell you that there is no such thing as racism where they are because they've dealt with it because they've put a law or two on a book saying that racism and discrimination is against the law and you can be prosecuted. Now, it's never acted upon, but it is written on a piece of paper, right? So they don't have racism and they don't have the racism issues. Why? Because they already dealt with fucking racism as far as they're concerned. And so one of the things we talked about was the language and the lack of language. And one of the things I've been telling you guys over the years, I needed you to pay attention to that then, and I need you to pay attention to it now. They've been trying to change the language about racism in this country. And this is one of the reasons why I have, you know, this this animus, if you will, and, and, and I'm stuck on these libertarians, these white conservatives, and quite a few of these progressive, moderate, and liberal whites, because what they're doing is they're trying to change up the language. They're trying to play Jedi mind tricks with your asses, and they're bringing some of that shit from Europe over here. So basically, they're bringing a nuanced argument 
for racism, and, and, and what I mean by a nuanced argument, basically they're trying to take the language away to make it harder for you to charge racism and to build an argument, and it is being done on purpose. And this is one of the reasons why you'll see some of these jackasses coming at you saying, there's not a racist bone in my body, and, and, and you know, well, we don't consider that racism. You know, when did white people become the authorities on racism, and when did they get the authority to decide and to define what the hell racism is when they don't experience it, and when they do see it experienced by some people, the majority of them say absolutely nothing. And this is the reason why you have us out here saying that being not racist is not enough anymore. You have to be anti-racist. And I'm putting together some anti-racist workshops, you know, and there will be more information coming out about that a little bit later. But this will be brick-and-mortar anti-racist workshops where you get to come out your house and you get to come and see me talk about this shit. Right, so there's more coming up on that. I probably shouldn't have announced it or said it on the show because some of you damn no idea having, no damn, you know, goal having, you know, just just stealing from every damn body. Now you're going to run out and try to say, oh, I'm going to have some anti-racist workshops. And, you know, yeah, the first one is going to be about white people calling 911. Fuck you. You've been stealing my shit and the shit of other people all these years, and we know it. And it's real interesting because when I slowed the show down and stopped doing the show, all of a sudden you never had any fucking thing else to blog about or some old random bullshit and nobody paid any attention to you. Don't think I I ain't been paying attention. I've been watching and I've been seeing. So anyway, to get back on fucking topic, so they try to bring that nuanced language to America in which they're trying to redefine what racism is and trying to reinterpret, you know, the laws that are on the books. And there are a lot of you all falling for the okey-doke. But there are quite a few of you out there that do not have the language. You know something ain't quite right with the shit that they're saying, but you don't have the language to respond. That is why I do shows like this. This is why I tell you all about different books. I came across a term, but anyway, let me finish what I was saying. So we were talking about what was happening in France, and for those of you that aren't familiar, I forgot to talk about this earlier, there have been violent protests in France by black people over there because they killed some black people. So there have been protests happening all over there, and again, there's been a media blackout on that as well. There's been some protests in other places. This is why it is imperative that you find reading and news sources that are outside of the United States of America so you can get a different perspective of what's happening out there and even have access to the stories that are being blacked out in the American media. It is important that you guys do that. It is important that you think outside of yourself. It is important for you to get an understanding and a desire to know what's happening outside of this country because I promise you it's coming to a city near you. So I'm saying pay attention. So anyway, going back to that fucking argument about the libertarians and how they're trying to change up the language, and it's they're very nuanced, and, and, and it's interesting because 
There was an article, I haven't posted it yet, but it was talking about identity politics. And for those of you that are out there that have been paying attention, you see how the Republicans, how the conservatives, and, you know, even some of these progressive whites have turned identity um, politics into a weapon. They have weaponized it. However, it works more to the benefit of these races. And the conservatives, it works more to their benefit, which is why I find it interesting, especially in certain communities where you have certain dignitaries or, you know, celebrities that are coming out talking about identity politics and how it's wrong and how black and brown and, you know, other folks, you know, Muslims or ex-Muslims, how we should basically just subjugate ourselves and acclimate to the environment in which they've already created because they already have have this utopia over here, and they, for the life of them, cannot understand why we are not happy. You understand? They've given us everything under the sun, and we're still not happy. So what will it take? And that is how they see that. But see, what they're doing is, again, with these Jedi mind tricks and what's going on out here, they're getting you to basically go against your own self-interest. And we've talked about how some of the working class and poor whites have done that. But let me give you all an update. And, I mean, I've said this a few times on the show. You may have missed this shit, so I'm going to say it again today. We've talked about the working class and the poor whites that have voted against their interests, and they voted in 45. Let me go ahead and let me update you, motherfuckers, because, like I said, I've been reading these post-mortem reports. And, like I said, I've been saying, you know, giving little reports here and there and really haven't been doing the show. But let me tell you, you all are looking at the wrong people, the working class and poor whites. I'm not saying that they didn't vote for Trump and they didn't, you know, that they voted against their self-interest. I'm not saying that didn't happen. But what I'm saying to you is you really need to pay attention more to to the very wealthy, the elite whites. They are the ones who put 45 over the top. And so what's interesting is, you know, I've been calling that administration the pinky in the brain administration. For those of you that have been around, you've heard that and you understand. I'm sitting back because I'm looking at 45 now. Sometimes I call him the Riddler. And Giuliani out here acting like the damn mad hatter. I mean, that's the kind of motherfucker you want to, you know, you'll pull the shower curtain back and he's sitting there in a three-piece suit and an umbrella talking about it's raining while the shower is working or running. So, you know, there's been a lot going on, but see, with 45, and what he's trying to do is he's trying to bring some of those European politics and some of that European language over here in an effort to say that racism has been resolved. There was an article the other day, I meant to post it, but I've been running. I've been running. But in this particular article, it's talking about how, um, you know, the war on poverty and, you know, basically uh, um, oppression and all of that has been solved and that we no longer have that war and it's been resolved. And as a result of that, they're pushing more people off of LINK, off of welfare, but if you happen to be on welfare and LINK and they allow you to continue to collect those benefits, they are putting you back to work unless you live in a country area or in certain suburbs, which means basically if you're white, you're not going to have to work. 
So, again, another white nationalist policy in play. And this is why I'm telling you guys, you need to pay attention to what's happening because it does have an impact on you. And so that means more black and brown people are going to be out here. They're trying to push them off the federal road. They're trying to push them off the social safety net. They're trying to do this. And I have been telling you guys over the years that they are pulling, you know, they, they are pulling stunts out of their asses. They are trying to fool you because what they're trying to do is push the social safety net, these so-called entitlement programs. They're trying to push them off of the federal road and push them down to the 501c3, basically the churches. And the churches are not equipped to deal with that. And then with the rampant you know, um, uh, um, the rampant, uh, I'm trying to think of the word. I can't think of it. But, but um, you know, some of the rampant fuckery, I'll just use that word, in the church. You got people embezzling money. I mean, and there is really no accountability. So once that money has been pushed to these different churches, you know, there's really no account for that. There is no line item audit that many of them, I don't think any of them have really seen, with the exception of one or two who may have pissed somebody off, pissed the wrong person off. But that money is going to go missing. People will not get their needs served. And then what? They're not equipped for it. So they're trying to fool you. And you're falling for it. You know, you have Uncle Ben, Ben Carson over there. Now they're getting ready to increase the rent on some people who have federally subsidized housing, whether, you know, they're living in a housing project or, in, in, or Section 8 or what have you. Now, these are, like, different areas. It's not going to be blanketed all across the country all at once, but, when somebody took a look at it and did a report on it, it's mainly going to be people that are, like, disabled and elderly people and folks like that who can't afford to have their rents doubled and tripled. Some of these folks are already eating fucking cat food from the dollar store. Come on! So, I mean, where is the outrage? You know, a friend of mine used to say the only way that many Americans will get out here and protest is when the price of a Big Mac is $20 and you can't afford to feed your children at McDonald's. And I'm sitting back and I'm looking at all of this shit that's happening and you, and you still have people that are sitting back and that are docile. Now, when I say this, I'm talking about there are many, many different ways to protest. So I'm not necessarily referring to civil disobedience. As a matter of fact, I would prefer that that not be an option. And as for me personally, I'm not necessarily advocating for civil disobedience out here. I feel that there are different ways to deal with these issues. But one of the first ways that we have to deal with the issue is to expose it. Why? Because you have too many people out here that are playing ostrich with their head in the sand, acting as though they don't understand what's happening, saying that they didn't know that this was happening, they didn't know that that wasn't happening. Look, guys, when I share links, and I'm going to start sharing shit again, but when I share links and I talk about things on this show, I tell you all the time, trust but verify. Go and look that shit up. Don't believe me. Look it up for yourself. And when you find it, you share it and you tell people about this because they need to know. And some of you don't have a clue. 
And so that's why, you know, I fell down on the drive. I didn't post shit like I should have been posting. But, hell, I was going through a thing or two. Y'all need to understand that I'm fucking human, too. And sometimes life just goes fucking wrong. And there are times that, you know, life may not necessarily be going wrong, but you need a break. You need to take a breath. You need to be able to walk away from this shit. I'll tell you, I think one of the reasons why I came back from Europe so fucking refreshed is because I didn't watch the news for two weeks. And the one time that I did try to listen to the news on Sirius XM, shit, I was like, I was like the craziest. It's too fucking much. I had to turn that shit off. What the fuck is happening and why are we allowing it to happen? You know, for those of you that can write and enjoy writing, what the fuck? Where is your shit? Talk to us. You have a voice. Use it. And so, you know, when I'm talking about some of these Christians or so-called Christians or religious people out here, you know, I need for you all to understand that, um, you know, I'm not condemning religion because I'm not N-O-T. I am not anti-theist. And when I say that, I'm talking specifically about the black church and the purpose of the of the black church. Now, I've talked about this on a show, and it won't be the last time because I'm going to end up bringing it up again. But with white Christianity, it is based on fear and fucking oppression. With black Christianity, the way that it was built in this country, it was based on what? Hope and change. And so I need for you all to go back and to understand and to see what the hell is going on and, and, and how all of this has been set up and formatted. But, again, you have this Bible-sanctioned racism because they're trying to justify it with damn scriptures. When Sessions came out with that scripture, it continues to come out with these different scriptures and to be reinforced by people like Paula White and Franklin Graham, and Jim Baker, and Rod Parsley, and Pat Robertson. I can go down a motherfucking list. You know who the hell these folks are. In the black church, you are fucking complicit. If you're sitting there and you're saying nothing and saying, oh, I don't like politics, I stay out of politics, my pastors told me to stay out of politics, and my mama and grandmama's pastors told us to stay out of politics, let me tell you something. You're not out of politics. Every day you wake up as a fucking active resistance, and the politics and the policies and the laws that have been put in place have been put in place to hold you down and to hurt and harm you. So no, it's like this. You can say that you don't participate in politics, but, honey, yes, you do, whether you want to or not. The minute you wake up and the minute you get out of that bed and you have to go out here and you got to get in the street, you got to go to these jobs with these crazy motherfuckers that you got to work with on a daily basis who are doing everything in their power and you can't understand why you can't get promoted, honey. Give me a few minutes. Let's sit down. Let's take a look at what the hell is going on in your corporation. Tell me how much money you make. Tell me how much money you have left over at the end of the month. Are you are you borrowing money? Are you working 12 jobs just so that you can buy your kid a damn lunchable? What the fuck is going on? And the thing is, is that what many of you all don't don't seem to understand is that a lot of this is by design. And um, poverty is created. And in this country, it would be more financially sound 
to level the playing field and to bring everybody up to a certain level. But they don't want that. They can't have that. Why? Because you have certain middle class and certain working class whites and poor whites who do not want that to happen because they'd rather they'd rather they'd rather burn the damn thing down, burn the system down, than to allow black and brown people to be treated fairly. And some of you are probably over there saying, oh, she's just making that shit up. No, go back and read about what happened with the, um, with the New Deal, with FDR, and the concessions and the deals he had to make and the compromises he had to make with the Dixiecrats or the Democrats in the South and how the money was pushed down to the states as opposed, as opposed to having these programs federally administered, they were pushed to the states. That was a concession that they made with these racist-ass states and people in the South, in the Bible Belt, down up in there. Go read it. Go read what Affirmative Action Was White by Ira Katz Nelson, as well as Fear Itself. There's a number of other books. As a matter of fact, um, one of the instructors that was there Wonderful man, I can't think of his name right now. Please forgive me, but guess what? He coming on the show, and he talks about these things here. And you know, it's a bunch of things. You know, I learned some new terminology: opacity, O P A C I T Y, opacity. And the woman that presented that presented it. Um, well, her presentation of it was not the best, and she didn't have a full grasp of it. I've had some time to be able to read some abstracts and read into that particular um, terminology and, and, and the sociology behind it, but um, Edward Glissant, um, you know, is based on his work. So I ordered the book. I haven't had a chance to read it. So for those of you that like to read, and when I get to this, you'll be ready for the conversation. Yeah, go look up opacity and look it up in regards to racial violence, race, race, um, racial harm, you know, um, just racism in general. Just go look it up, white supremacy, blah, 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 right? So, you know, I'm saying all that to say this is that I need you guys to pay more attention because some of these Democrats that are in Congress right now, you know, because you have people out here, why aren't they on TV, you know, protesting at every moment and, 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 and condemning this type of behavior because they agree with it. Look at how they're voting. Now, they have come together and voted against some things. <laughs> It's interesting how they all were able to muster up enough votes to assure the EU that America is still with them. And, um, you know, see, they can muster up votes for whatever the fuck they want to muster up votes for. And, oh, yeah, speaking of that, what the hell? You have these people out here threatening Maxine. We better leave Auntie Maxine alone. What she says, she said, your ass better shoot straight. You better know how to shoot straight. So I was like, I ain't mad at Auntie Maxine. She meant that shit, too. So anyway, getting back on topic, look, you know, I just need for you all to pay attention to what's going on because, again, they're too cowardly to say anything in public, but look at their voting records. Look at what they're silent on and look at what they condemn. And so I wanted to share some things with you guys because 
on that long-ass flight back, and I had a layover in Iceland of all fucking places, right? And as far as me, let me let me make it clear. When I go on vacation, I don't like cold weather. Even though I live in a state that's, you know, that gets winter and all of that, I don't like cold weather. So I, when I go on vacation, I'm not going to somewhere named Iceland, okay? You know, it's a beautiful country, loved the water, loved all of that. I ended up spending the night there one night. It was all fucked up because it don't get dark there. And so it was like I didn't sleep for like two damn days. It was just crazy. But anyway, yeah, that's all I'm going to say about Iceland. But it's a beautiful country. Everybody there was very, very nice. Thank you. La, 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 la. Moving on. So anyway, on the airplane ride back. I decided that I wanted to read Why We Can't Wait by Martin Luther King. And so I'm going to be coming to you out of that really for like the next hour. And for those who have read the book or you may have it, I want you to scroll all the way to the chapter entitled The Days to Come. Okay? So, you know, look at what's happened over in Haiti. You know, Haiti has been paying, you know, ever since they overthrew the French government. And what's happening is even with the $2 billion that Haiti was trying to repay, I can't even remember who the hell they're supposed to be paying right now. I'm so sorry, you guys. Didn't come fully prepared for that because this just came up in my head. But a lot of that money is being embezzled and stolen. And that's one of the reasons why you see a lot of these protests happening over there. It's for a number of different reasons. So please go over there and educate yourself. So anyway, basically I said that to say this. Whenever black people try to stand up and be independent and declare themselves independent or, or what have you, there is a price to pay. See, the thing is, is that they want to give you little scraps from the table. They don't want you sitting at the table. Look, I've told many people this. In many cases, if you have been invited to the table, but basically, I won't even say invited to the table. If you have been invited to the party, more than likely you are the help or the fucking entertainment. And if you ain't the help or entertainment, you better look around and make sure your ass ain't on the fucking serving platter. And the few that are invited to the table, can you trust them motherfuckers over there? Seriously. So anyway, going to this book here, there's a few things that I want to address. And this is what Martin Luther King wrote. So I'm going to read this because basically he was talking about whites in America and other places. Oh, yeah, to tie this into what I started talking about with France is with France on the books, they say that they've dealt with racism and discrimination, and they put it on paper. They say it's the law, policy, whatever. But at the same time, they stated that they know that black and brown people, specifically black people, will never ever be able to catch up with whites because of the 400-plus year difference. We're 400 years behind, and they know good and damn well that we'll never, ever be able to catch up. 
And that holds true for America, too. So when they come at you with that bullshit, like, well, why can't you do this? They had a 400-year head start, and everything pretty much was handed to them on a platter. I was at the bookstore the other day, and I was looking at, you know, these books. I'm going to have to go back and get this book. But it was talking about land bandits and how they were stealing land and stealing property and killing people and kidnapping people just to steal their property. And when we had Chris Everett on the show, we talked about the coup d'etat that happened in Wilmington and how even to this day when they find land deeds that has the name of black people that used to own that land but it was stolen by the whites, they're still shredding those deeds today to try to cover up that crime. So this is not something new. What we're seeing today in America and in the world, this is nothing new. I keep telling people, I'm like, all of this shit happens in cycles, and it repeats itself. And this is why it's important that you all understand the history. So anyway, what Martin Luther King wrote in this book here, <coughs> excuse me, is what will, and basically, let me go back, let me give you some context. It says, basically, it's talking about America. It's talking about how many Americans may not realize that, you know, there's a callous indifference to human suffering that exists even to this day. And I'm talking about even Mm -hmm. to this day today. And basically, um, you'll have people who consider themselves men of God or good people, and they will stand there flat foot and ask this question. What is the Negro willing to pay if we give him his freedom? And again, what is the Negro willing to pay if we give him his freedom? And so it goes on to say this. This is not to say that today's society wants dollars and cents in order to grant the Negro his rights, but there is a terrible parallel between the outstretched and greedy hand of a slave trafficker who sold a Negro his own person and the uplifting and admonishing finger of people who say today, what more will the Negro expect if he gains such rights as integrated schools, public facilities, voting rights, and progress in housing? Will he, like Oliver Twist, demand more? What is implied here is the amazing assumption that society has the right to bargain with the Negro for the freedom which inherently belongs to him. Some of the most vocal liberals believe that they have a valid basis for demanding that in order to gain certain rights, the Negro ought to pay for them out of the funds of patience and passivity which he has stored up for so many years. What these people do not realize is that gradualism and moderation are not the answer to the great moral indictment, which in the revolution of 1963 finally came to stand in the center of our national stage, what they do not realize is that it is no more possible possible to be half free than it is to be half alive. And that shit is still valid today. And so, you know, basically, you know, he's talking about well-meaning or ill-meaning Americans who basically say, what more will the Negro want or what, or when will he be satisfied? Here's another part I want to read. It says, what will it take to make these demonstrations cease? 
is asking the Negro to purchase something that already belongs to him by every concept of law, justice, and our Judeo-Christian heritage. Moreover, he is asking the Negro to accept half the loaf to pay for that half by waiting willingly for the other half to be distributed in crumbs over a hard and protracted protracted winter of injustice. I would like to ask those people who seek to apportion to us the rights that they have always enjoyed, whether they believe that the framers of the Declaration of Independence intended that liberty should be divided into installments doled out on a deferment payment plan or doled out on a deferred deferred payment plan. So, I mean, you know, guys, Pay attention to what's happening here. Let me read this other part. I told you I was coming out of this book today because I was sitting here and I was reading this, and it was like, bam, 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 you know, and I'm just sitting here because I'm like, it was so apropos then, it's here now. What is it going to fucking take to get us to stand up and start demanding these rights? What is it going to take for us to basically, at this point in time, the one way that we were able to bring people to their knees in this country was an economic fucking boycott. See, people pay attention if you fuck with their pocketbook. So anyway, right here he wrote, we need a powerful sense of determination to banish the ugly blemish of racism scarring the image of America. We can, of course, try to temporize, negotiate small, inadequate changes, and prolong the timetable of freedom in the hope that the narcotics of delay will dull the pain of progress. We can try, but we certainly fail. The shape of the world will not permit us the luxury of gradualism and procrastination. Not only is it immoral, it will not work. It will not work because Negroes know that they have the right to be free. It will not work because Negroes have discovered in nonviolent direct action an irresistible force for to propel what has been for so long an immovable object. It will not work because it retards the progress not only of the Negro but of the nation as a whole. And that is true. That is true. Because one of the arguments that I hear about these people, oh, these people are coming to this country and, you know, and immigrants, documented and undocumented, you know, if all lives matter, like these folks were out here screaming at us, if all lives really fucking matter, you wouldn't be taking these brown babies from these brown mamas and daddies. And then you got black people out here saying, well, we shouldn't be giving a deal about the immigration, getting mad because the chick climbed the Statue of Liberty and all that. And I'm like, what's getting lost in this entire narrative is that there are black immigrants that are being deported left and right. And I told you documented immigrants, when because some of you voted for Trump, and I told you that he was going to be coming at coming after you next. And they have been deporting documented citizens left and right. We told you it was coming. And some of you are in such a rush to get that, that to become honorary and ethnic whites, to get that white fucking privilege that you're willing to throw anybody and everybody under the bus, not realizing that you were throwing your damn selves under the bus because you got some people out here that voted for Trump that are of color, that are out here scared shitless now because they don't know if they're going to get deported, their mama and daddy and all that. Oh, it was funny then, shit ain't quite so funny now. So anyway, this is what is happening. And so uh, um, I'm just, I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here and I'm like, you know, these are real questions. And this is what's happening now. Like I said, it repeats itself. 
to repeat yourself. And it's frustrating when you're out here and you see this and you'll have some people, well, what are you doing? And, you know, how are you making changes, you know? And, and, and you know, basically trying to derail or deflect the conversation without talking about how they benefited from this system and how they continue to benefit. Like I said, 400 years, we're behind 400. We're never going to catch up. Black people in France, black people in Italy, black people in Europe, black people in Africa, we're never going to fucking catch up, and they know it. So they give you this lip service and this song and dance to try to assuage those fears, to try to calm you, to try to sedate you or console you when they know good and damn well nothing is ever going to come of it, that you're never going to catch up, which is why it would be in their best interest to try to level the playing field and to give people what is their just due. You know, and so uh, it's a trip. It's a trip, you know. Uh, I'll read this part here. It says, we will make progress if we accept the fact that 400 years of sinning cannot be canceled out in four minutes of atoning. Neither can we allow the guilty to tailor their atonement in such a manner as to visit another four seconds of deliberate hurt upon the victim. So I have some issues with the grammar that's there, you know, especially the sinning part, but I think you understand where he's coming from. So to go back to what some some of these white people out here are saying and they're thinking again, he says, what more does the Negro want? When we say that the Negro wants absolute and immediate freedom and equality, not in Africa or in some imaginary state, but right here in this land today, the answer is disturbingly terse to people who are not certain they wish to believe it. Yes, this is the fact. Negroes no longer are tolerant of or interested in compromise. American history is replete with compromise, and that's true. We've been out here compromised, you know, compromising here, there, left, and right, and whenever they give us something, they turn around and take ten things away. So, you know, we're not making progress. We're being basically rolled back. We are losing ground. And look at what's happening with 45 and all of the changes that are being made in the civil rights and the voting rights and, the, you know, the just the judicial system, all of that. I need you guys to pay attention. Pay attention to what's happening with the social safety net, how all of this is being rolled back, we're in trouble. And, um, you know, he says here, in the bursting move that has overtaken the Negro in 1963, the word compromise is profane and pernicious. You know, and I mean, I, I really want you guys to go and read this book. I think you could probably find it online, you know, as a PDF. And, um, you know, right here it says, in this time and circumstance, 
No leader or set of leaders could have acted as ringmasters, whipping a whole race out of purring contentment into leonine courage and action. If such credit is to be given to any single group, it might well go to the segregationists who, with their callous and cynical code, helped to arouse and ignite the righteous wrath of the Negro. Look at what's happening in this country. What do they think they're going to gain or benefit from um, with the rampant racism and the reemergence? Well, not reemergence because it never went away. So with the increasing participation and in outwardly displays of, you know, white nationalism with these hate groups, you know, I just need for people to pay attention. You know, and and right here, you know, he's talking about, you know, if you go back and you read the letter from Birmingham jail, he skewers moderate whites. And, you know, there are some things that I have to say about that. But here he wrote, the enemies of racial progress and even some of his, quote, friends, end quote, who are, quote, for it but not so fast, end quote, would delight in believing that there is chaos up front in the civil rights ranks. And so what's interesting about that is you'll hear these people out here putting forth this narrative about the Congressional Black Caucus and how, you know, they've, they've run their course. But Dr. Sharice gave a very wonderful presentation about the Congressional Black Caucus and and the progress that is made and some of the bills that have been passed. You know, a lot of information that I did not know. You know, and so um it's just so much there's so much, you know, that is happening. There's so many people that have just disappeared. You know, people who claim that they're for us. And and they want what's best for us, and then when the time comes, they disappear. Or if they don't disappear, they're they're like, okay, well, you know, I agree with what you want, but we don't like your tactics. Or just wait, it'll happen. You're going too fast. You want too much too fast. And I believe that some of those same words came out of Barack Obama's mouth. You know, and I need to go and look that up. And, and you know, be able to quote that. But I remember him saying that, especially when he was addressing, you know, Black Lives Matter and and the unrest that was happening in this country. And so, uh, and I'm not going to get started on Barack Obama and and our lost opportunity to make demands because what's happened to a certain degree is you you'll have some white politicians saying, well, you didn't ask him for that, so why are you asking us? Why are you demanding more from us than you demanded from him? And so one part of this book, he was talking about, you know, what was happening in the 60s, like with SNCC and all of them. And right here he said, during the lunch counter sit-ins in Greensboro, North Carolina, a nightclub comic observed that had the demonstrators been served, some of them could not have paid for the meal. Ain't that some shit? When I read that, 
it just kind of fucked me because I never thought about it. Not sure about you, but, I mean, is it something that you've ever thought about? You know, and so, you know, what's interesting is, again, we talk about the affirmative action and the New Deal and what was happening. So, basically, you know, you have the GI Bill. It's called the GI Bill of Rights. And so they created that Bill of Rights. That's why I say affirmative action primarily benefits white women. And it was put in place for white soldiers in their wives to benefit them, you know, and especially the wives when the husbands were overseas fighting in the wars. And so, you know, you have all of these subsidies and, and, and all of these incentives that were not readily available to black people. So uh, I, I need you guys research. Like I said, don't believe me. Trust but verify. Go and look it up yourself. And so you have people in this book, Martin Luther King was saying that there should be another Bill of Rights dealing specifically with poverty and specifically with black people. And so while it says here, while Negroes from the vast majority of America's disadvantaged, there are millions of white poor who would also benefit from such a bill. The moral justification for special measures for Negroes is rooted in the robberies inherent in the institution of slavery. Many poor whites, however, were the derivative victims of slavery. As long as labor was cheapened by the involuntary servitude of the black man, the freedom of white labor, especially in the South, was little more than a myth. It was free only to bargain from the depressed base imposed by slavery upon the whole labor market, not, nor did this derivative bondage end when formal, formal slavery gave way to the de facto slavery of discrimination. To this day, the white poor also suffer deprivation and the humiliation of poverty if not of color. They are chained by the weight of discrimination, though its badge of degradation does not mark them. It, it corrupts their lives, frustrates their opportunities, and withers their education. In one sense, it is more evil for them because it has confused so many by prejudice that they have supported their own oppressors. How about that? So right here it says it is simple it is a simple matter of justice that America in dealing creatively with the task of raising the Negro from backwardsness should also be rescuing a large stratum of the forgotten white poor. A bill of rights for the disadvantaged could mark the rise of a new era in which the full resources of the society would be used to attack the tenacious poverty which so paradoxically exists in the midst of plenty. That's true. You know, because I've heard a lot of white people say, well, they forgot about us. They forgot about me. They forgot about you. They know exactly what they're doing. They're telling, and, 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 and while oppressing you, they're telling you that all of your problems are due to black and brown people. And you're believing it. And even when we produce receipts and show you the statistics and show you the information, you don't believe us. You've been trained to tune us out and to not believe a word that's coming out of our mouths. So anyway, uh, go and read this book. Go 
and read these books. You know, um, there's a lot of good stuff in here. You know, um, it says, you know, these lost generations have never learned basic social skills on a functional level, the skills of reading, writing, arithmetic, of applying for jobs, of exercising the rights of citizenships, including the right to vote. Moreover, rural and urban poverty has not only stultified lives, it has created emotional disturbances, many of which find expression in antisocial acts. The most tragic victims are children, whose impoverished parents, frantically struggling day by day for food and a place to live, have been unable to create the stable home necessary for the wholesome growth of young minds. Opportunities and means to exploit them are, however, still inadequate to assure equality, justice, and decency in our national life. There is an imperative need for legislation to outlaw our present grotesque legal mores or legal more, sorry. Um, Shit ain't changed, y'all. You know, and and like you said, you know, right here, this example has not gone unobserved by others of all races who live in equally desperate circumstances, inevitably, before long, a broad-based legion of the deprived white and Negro will coalesce and restructure an old order based too long on injustice. This is why they don't want us working together. And it says here, Negroes battling for their own recognition today have a right to expect more from their old allies. Nothing will hold back the forces of progress in American life more effectively than a between the Negro and organized labor. And I was just talking about that last night at a dinner party with some friends. And we were talking about the unions and their alliance with, you know, black people, black and brown people, and, and, and these social movements, which is why we encourage you to go and read the history. You know, go look up um, Asa Philip Randolph, who he was with the Pullman Porters and why he was important, and why these different unions, you know, why it was important for these people to unionize and why it's important for us to build these alliances with them, you know. And pay attention. You see he's trying to appoint a new Supreme Court judge, and look at what's happening now. You know, they may be rolling back Roe v. Wade, Plessy versus Ferguson. What the hell is going on? So right here, it says here, it is not generally realized that the burden of court decision, such as the Supreme Court decision on school desegregation, places the responsibility on the individual Negro who is compelled to bring a suit in order to obtain his rights. In effect, the most impoverished Americans 
facing powerfully equipped adversaries are required to finance and conduct complex litigation that may involve tens of thousands of dollars, which is hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars now, to have shaped remedies in this form for existing inequalities in our national life was in itself a concession to segregationists. The unsound consequences of this procedure are hampering progress to this day. A solution can only be achieved if the government assumes the responsibility for all legal proceedings, facing the reality that the poor and the unemployed already fight an unequal daily struggle to stay alive. To be forced to accumulate resources for legal action imposes intolerable hardships on the already overburdened. So anyway, and so much, so much that I get from this book. And, I mean, these are things, some of the things I knew, but, you know, sometimes you just don't sit down and really think about some of these. You don't rationalize it through or you don't just sit there, you know, and think about how these changes have been made because black and brown people have sued. They had to sue to get equal rights, go bankrupt, so their kids can go to a, go to a school that had books, that had heat. Why must we do that? Why is that, you know, um, I don't know. You know, um, there's so much that needs to be done. You know, and he talks here about how we've tolerated hate. And we still tolerate hate. You have these people telling us that we should be understanding about Trump voters, why we should be understanding about these angry white men that are out here, you know, shooting up crowds of people. You know, these involuntary celibate white men that are angry and, and you know, trying to kill people because, you know, they feel entitled and they have not been able to achieve whatever it is that they're trying to achieve. You know, so right here it says, we tolerated hate. We tolerated the sixth stimulation of violence in all walks of life, and we tolerated the differential application of the law, which said that a man's life was sacred only if we agreed with his views. How about that? I mean, have you ever sat down and thought about this type of shit? I mean, seriously, I haven't. And when I started reading this, and I was like, well, I never thought about it that way, or I never thought about this that in depth. You know, and this is where I am, you know, um, because at one point I became so disillusioned with the election of 45. I mean, I knew he was going to win towards the end. And I said as much on this show. And right now I can tell you he is going to win re-election. You need to be asking how and why and who. And so, you know, at one point I was thinking I was just going to fucking stop voting and fuck it, 
I can't do that. And like I said, we went to the Power Rising. June and I had such a good time. You know, there's a reason why they're trying to dissuade you from voting. There's a reason why they're trying to take your 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 right to vote away from you. There's a reason why they're purging the voter rolls. There are reasons why these things are happening. There are reasons why they're putting up billboards and sending out fake text messages telling you, you know, warning you not to vote because you may have a warrant or you may have this happening. And if you show up to the, you know, to the voting booth or to the poll that you're going to be, I mean, just tricks. Why are they trying to trick you out of your vote, right? And so, you know, right here it says they also have, well, basically, let me read it from this part here. It says, moreover, the subjective elements of political power, persistence, aggressiveness, and discipline are also attributes of the new movement. And we're starting to see that this is one of the reasons why you see people out here gathering statistics and asking you all to um, participate in the census. You know, there are people holding independent census to get gathered in numbers because if you go and you look and see what 45 is doing, they're adding extra questions to the census. And basically they're scaring people into not wanting to participate and answer the census. And one of the reasons for that, if you have enough black and brown people not answering and, and accounting for themselves in this census, that decreases money that goes to the neighborhoods, but also votes. This is how they determine how many representatives that you have. And, you know, again, I've been telling you guys to go and take a look at gerrymandering and all of that. So anyway, it says here, political leaders are infinitely respectful toward any group that has an abundance of energy to ring doorbells, man the street corners, and escort voters to the polls. Negroes and their demonstrations and voter registration campaigns have been acquiring excellent training in in just these tasks. They also have discipline perhaps beyond that of any other group because it has become a condition of survival. Now, if you don't get anything else from that, I want you to get that. They also have discipline, perhaps beyond that of any other group, because it has become a condition of survival. So, um, read, register to vote. These Trump people... They've always been around. This racism, all of this, this has always been around. All he did was rip the scab off. The only difference between Donald Trump and Macron and Merkel and all of them folks is that this motherfucker ain't got, he's real rough around the edges. He's not nuanced. They're nuanced. But like I wrote on my wall one day, I said, pay attention to what's happening over in Western Europe. They're giving the same message. The only difference is their message is more nuanced. And so instead of saying black and brown people, they're talking about immigrants, and especially the Muslim ones. And Islam is primarily a black and brown religion, undercover racism. So when I when I talk about Islamophobia, you know, I'm talking about that, which is one of the reasons why we call them racist. 
So I I just need you to pay attention. Pay attention. I need you to listen to the vocabulary. I need you to listen to the racially coded language. They know exactly what they're saying and what they're doing. So I don't want you to live under the delusion that things have gotten better because that's a fucking lie. They haven't. So what I would say to you is question everything. Question everyone. But I need you to pay attention, you know, not only to the ones that are out here in front of the microphone with the big mouths, but to pay special attention to those that have not said a damn word that have just disappeared and look really nervous when you start asking about some of these issues. Your silence is is tacit agreement. Look at your, you know, some of these white pastors, especially because some of them got, you know, black people sending money to them sitting in their congregations, and Paula White needs to fucking be ashamed of herself. But, hell, there were issues when she was married to Randy, you know, charges of racism and all of that. I mean, pay attention. But I'm happy that a lot of these black pastors are now starting to come out and say, so you don't really have a choice. Your people are dying in the streets. Some of them are dying in your damn po- in your pews. You know, I've seen so many pastors run up out of churches for stealing money, you know, coveting their damn members' wives and husbands or whatever the fuck was going on over there. Some of you are just a little bit too far to children. Some of these leaders die from drug overdoses. And I'm one of these people, I feel that all drugs should be legalized and taxed. The only reason why I say something like that here is because they preach it as a sin and they preach against it. And so when you preach against it and then you die from the very thing that you preach against, I think I have a right to bring it up. And, you know, it's I just sit here and I watch people every day on Twitter trying to appeal to these racist people to their to their you know their moral compass. You got to understand we define morality for those who believe in morality or feel that they're in the definition for morality. We see this shit differently. They thought it was moral to have slaves. They thought it was moral to have separate but so-called equal. They thought all that shit was okay. They thought it was moral that a woman couldn't, you know, apply for credit. She had to apply for it through her husband or the husband had to apply for it. They thought it was moral to force women to have a bunch of children that they don't want and or can't afford. And there's so much more I can say about this. 
but I don't feel like it. So anyway, I'm back. I'm feeling good. Doing things. You know, things are getting better. People are healing. People are getting well. You know? So that's a good thing. You know, a lot of pressure is being lifted off of me. So I'm I'm doing all right. Feeling good about life. You know, I'm doing okay over here. So anyway, I just wanted to give you an update, let you know I'm still here. I'm still around. I'm going to be doing more damn shows. I'm going to talk about something next week. I can't think about it right now. I'm going to come up with something. Trust and believe that. But I just wanted to say hi, let you guys know how much I missed you. Hell, let you guys know how much I fucking missed me. Because it felt like a part of me inside just fucking died. And there were a number of factors in that. But one of the biggest factors was um, helping someone get through this cancer and then losing someone to the cancer. And that was a devastating loss. I mean, even when I was in Amsterdam, you know, one day they were just really heavy on my mind. And I was just, it was right after the skinhead thing. And I wanted to put on, I wanted to give a Facebook status. And I just wanted to say I miss you and I need you. Why did you leave me? And so once I was able to kind of catch my breath and come back to myself, you know, I said, Kim, you got to move on. Hold them in your heart. Hold them near you. Got those memories. Still have their babies, you know. Keep up with them. And they ain't going to let you forget. And you ain't going to let them forget. So, you know, it's going to be all right. Oh, we got somebody that made it through. Let's go ahead and pick up this call. I was getting ready to sign out, but let's see who this is. All right. All right, 314, man. Who's calling? It's Pianchi's call. How you doing? I'm good, Pianchi. Mm-hmm. How are you? Haven't heard from you in a long time. Free thinkers. Oh, honey, it's been a lot going on. Yeah, not the Kanye kind, though. Well, yeah. by the way, I was Trump supporting <laughs> voter. I hear. <laughs> How I said you I was. Been, I was I've been doing fine. I, uh, you know, from the political stage, I get sick and tired of all these distractions about Russians and everything. But as far as what Forty Five is doing, I su- voted for him and support a lot of the things that uh, he's promised in his campaign issues. A few other things I would like to see. Hopefully, get those done. <clears throat> but well, everybody's not the same. What would you? Oh, yeah, no, of course not. But out of curiosity, what would you like to see happen? What promises that have not been fulfilled 
that you would well, like it's to not, see filled. I would like to see. Time. I would like to see, in particular, uh, the uh, Department of Education put a mandate down on school districts that they have to permit parents to have the option of uh, choice and be able to have that money follow their parents and their child or wherever the so parents put them. Oh, yes. <laughs> There's so many uh, opportunities out there in education. Just take, for instance, uh, the recent announcement about the Department, uh, the Bureau of Labor Assistance, about there's going to be a tremendous shortage in uh, commercial pilots. And also the military made an announcement that uh, they're having a shortage of military pilots, too. And there's one uh, airline company that's up in Minnesota that's starting a school that's uh, training. But there's some charter schools around the country, like Bessie DeVoice. She had the uh, Michigan Aviation School, and there's some others around the country that's been going on for, I guess, about 2010, because I guess they foresaw the need, and they're trying to fulfill it. So i like to see uh, African-American kids have the opportunity, too. Uh, to take so you advantage. feel that you know, federal a, money, federal dollars should go into private schools, private charter schools that have not been proven to be more successful than public schools. But that, no, that I'm money not saying should be federal dollars. From, I'm saying local mm-hmm. dollars that people are paying for, just like it is now. You have uh, people who decide to put their child in an alternative system like a charter school. And it don't have to be charter school. It could be another public school in another school district. Mm-hmm. So I think that Parents, because blacks, when they polled and surveyed, they overwhelmingly said the percentile plus said that's what they want to have. And I would like to see a reciprocal throughout the nation concealed carry, where uh, I see where in Illinois they are, the state legislature creating sanctuary counties as it regards Second Amendment rights. Illinois is one of them states that if you cross their border, you got to take your gun out and put it in the trunk. I think that's ridiculous. I'm pleased with the tariffs well, and tax reform. Wait, 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 wait. You said the tariffs? Tariffs, T-A-R-R-I-F-F, or, on imports. Oh, the tariffs. Okay. Well, oh, you didn't think I said terrorists. hurt. <laughs> Let me get that I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, let me clarify. <laughs> I'm like, we have some interesting conversations when you come in, but that terrorist threw me for a loop right there. I was like, oh, what is he talking about over there? <laughs> yeah, but, um, you know, that tariff, yeah, you know, but now the tariffs are going to hurt a lot of people, a lot of, you know, um, um, farmers and manufacturers in this country, you know, the cranberry farmers, is going to be a 50% tariff on, on cranberries. I mean, this is this is going to hurt people in this country. It's going to hurt business and industry. And well, what's interesting in the course, go ahead, go ahead. No, uh, you have companies, manufacturing that is starting up, manufacturing everything from furniture, in textiles in North Carolina, Tennessee, uh, Chinese manufacturer Hunuk, uh 
is opening up a tire plant in Nashville that's going to hire 1800 starting salary $56,450 with benefits. You got uh, Mazda, Toyota in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. You have lumber companies, Weyerhaeuser. You have aluminum companies, three that's going in uh, Kentucky. And that way you don't have to be worrying on these imports. You, you can buy stuff that's produced in the United States. And the reason why U.S. manufacturers well, wasn't able to get started, like mm-hmm. in Granite City, where U.S. still say the reason why come they reopening those two plants is because of the tax reform that went through in December. And they're hiring people that was shut down back in 2005. Indiana, they're opening up a steel plant, starting off $30.10. In Missouri, Nucor coming out of North Carolina and starting two in Liberty and Independence. Uh, defies Missouri, plus another one someplace. So that's going to be good. Well, I mean, you know, there are some jobs that are being created, but there are whole industries that are going under. And, you know, what's interesting with, you know, some of this here is basically what's happening with China. And, you know, people haven't been paying attention, but Russia and China have been making direct trade deals with one another. And what's happening with China is they're trying to open back up that Silk Road, that Silk Route, to deal directly with Africa. And during World War II, America had to go and appeal to China to open up their trading, you know, to help bolster our economy. And so you have some of these, you know, companies from these other countries that are, you know, building manufacturing plants and all of that here in this country. But while they're, you know, creating a few jobs, how many have been lost? And in regards to 45, you know, he's made some promises to people that have just been outright forced. He's not going to be able to bring a lot of those mining jobs back. A lot of the people that have lost these jobs, you know, it's interesting because sometimes when you hear him talking, he'll speak in others, you know, in his particular um, social group there. You know, they'll talk about some of these people who do not want to attain some of the skills needed. Do you know how many IT positions are unfilled in this country? And I've heard a number of white men specifically on some of these news shows in their interviews saying that I want to do a man's man's job. I want to dangle off 14 floors of a building. I don't want to learn programming. No, it's a more lucrative. That's what I've done for a living for 40 years was put up skyscraper where my men did hang dangle off of steel structures. But to know, uh, when you have a trade imbalance, when you have an overall trade mm-hmm. imbalance of 800, over $800 billion and over $300 billion with one country, that, that just can't continue to go on like that way. And... Uh, they are making improvements. Look at the national side of black engineers, which I like to talk about all the time. Uh, they like last two national, yeah, yeah Nesby. They last two national convention. Northrop Grumman hired 400 young engineers off the floor two years in a row, not including the other corporations was there. And you look what they're doing. They're getting prepared for the announcement about what aerospace. 
the kickoff into the aerospace industry that's starting up again. Boeing, a stock has increased 86% in the last, you know, short period of time, along with about, you know, other ones. So, no, there's a lot of things that's going on. It's wonderful time. We need to be preparing our children for these opportunities. I like well, I mean, Trump because he said, he said that those mm-hmm. here that's uh, – working on work visas, when your visa expires, you're going to have to go and we're going to have to train Americans for those jobs. The same way car plants are done. Here we had Chrysler and Ford and Hazelwood. They shut down, but they trained their workers for something else. And now they kept on moving. And you have some companies that will do that, you know, help their employees make that transition and transition them into other positions. But, um, you know, when you were talking about, you know, how the stock went up, and basically, I mean, the majority of Americans are not invested in the stock market, and many of them do not necessarily understand how the stock market works because basically we're trading other people's money and other governments' money, not necessarily Americans' money. And that's one of the reasons why we're having such a hard time with the infrastructure and not being able to make some of the changes that we need to make with the infrastructure, but in regards to what you're saying, in regards to our output being more than our input, in regards to, um, you know, um, our economy, I mean, I understand that, and but there are better ways to do this. And I guess one of the things with 45 is, you know, some of it is his mannerisms and his bullish behavior, but also he is a bigot. He's a racist and he's a bigot. He's a sexist. He's a number of a number of these things. And there are a lot of people that are being hurt and harmed by him and his policies. And while I understand there are some people that are benefiting, they're more of the exception than the rule. You know, being able to, you know, uh, to hire 400 Engineers, first of all, you know, there's only a handful of black people that actually go into STEM, specifically engineering. You yeah, know, need to and get while more. that's great to have 400. And that was 400. That was oh, total agree. 800, by the way. I agree. And we are working oh, to create more. Yeah, we, mm-hmm. there are programs that have been put in place to create more uh, at the elementary level with bridge programs that uh, coordinate with the local uh, state colleges like in Missouri, like in the St. Louis area with UMSL, UMSL Bridge Program, which have summer courses where you take elementary uh, students and you team them up. I'm not talking about a few. I'm talking about hundreds. And they, from the elementary uh, years until they get ready to go to high school, they are brought in on weekends and also in the summer, and they are put through these rigors of different courses that will lead them into STEM fields. So, yes, there's a lot of movement well, I mean, going on. It's lovely to have programs. Yeah, but I mean, it's lovely mm-hmm. to have programs like that, you know, and I've seen people go through some programs like that. I've been in programs like that. And, you know, one of the issues that myself and some others that I know who shared our stories is, you know, in some cases we'll get the internships or we'll get the apprenticeships. And then we're put into an environment in which the racism is so rampant that they pretty much kind of run you out of the place because even though they have the program and they're making the opportunities available, 
you know, there are people there that do not want you there and, and make the experience for you as miserable as they possibly well, it, can make yeah. it. As agencies out there are supposed to handle that, and you know, in my business, I probably had clansmen working for me. As long as they came to work in the morning, mm-hmm. gave me eight hours, and uh, what they did on the weekend, <laughs> beat their wife, or got caught up in jail, that was their business. As long as they came in, checked in, and gave me a day's work, I don't care if they hood, don the hood in the weekend, that's their business. And right, what you that's say, as long as they don't bring it to your house, you can get along. Absolutely. And some I've known for a long time. But no, uh, there's good and there's bad. I don't. Uh, I look at Trump's issues, all the other stuff. It's not a concern of mine. If that's the case, if people are concerned about that, then why are they pushing to have the felon box removed off of job applications? I mean, is it showing bias there? Gives people. Well, I mean, but it needs to be removed to give people a fair opportunity to compete for these jobs because what's interesting about that is that, you know, some of the studies have shown that some of these companies will hire a white man with all of these convictions on his record and barely got his GED over a black man or woman with, you know, um, with advanced degrees. You know, and, well, and I know some black companies black won't hire you if you got felons neither. So it's not just. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, I mean that's just it. But here's the point: if you want to keep people from mm-hmm. holding elected office for something that they allegedly done 30 years ago, well, then why come we can't have the same thing for someone just getting out of prison for something that they done 10 years ago and victimized and done some horrific things? You can't have it both ways. Well, not necessarily, because the thing is, is that those people have paid the price as far as the ones that, you know, us wanting to ban the box. But regarding some of these politicians that have committed some of these atrocities, I mean, do you really want someone who embezzled hundreds of millions of dollars and went to Camp Cupcake, do you really want them over, you know, the finances of this country, allow them to run for office and then have access to that kind of money? I mean, it's... Well, that's why they do background checks. Yeah. They do the background checks Background check means, it means nothing if people vote him in. Donald Trump is a crook, but he got voted in. Well, but they, if, if somebody thinks that he, we have video Well, yeah, but that's he wasn't the president. He wasn't president when he said matter. that. Yeah, well, but it he does. Still means that. He was a he was a male. He, he, I mean, males say those things. He thought he could get away with it. I don't think he gets away with it now. But that's not why people voted for him. I mean, he, every it's, it's that I old mean, thing drove the first stone. Various reasons. Well, I voted yeah, for him I mean, because of the issues. Reasons why people voted. And I get tired of people looking well, at me yeah. like I'm strange because they say to them, "Well, blacks did vote for Donald Trump." <laughs> I mean, the thing is, is that we're not a monolith. So you're going to have a number of different people with a number of different, you know, um, ideologies, if you will, value systems, what have you. I mean, you voted for Trump. Yeah. It was your vote. So, Absolutely. I mean, 
that. You know, it, it, it's not my job to tell you who to vote for. It's not my job to tell you how to spend your money. It's not my job to do any of these things. And, you know, and there I try to steer away from that. You know, I try mm-hmm. to steer away from that um, personally. It's like these people that say they want to have a separate country. Well, if you want a separate country, get together with some people like you and go have your separate country. Why you want to drag all blacks along with you? They don't want to go. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, is that it's not just, you know, it's only a few blacks that say that. But there are some whites that want their own country, too. I'm, you know, all of them damn box states up there in the upper northwest part of the country. Give them all of that, or it's cold and hate shit. If they want that, I mean, you know. I'm, <laughs> it's nothing wrong exactly. with whites thinking nationalistic, blacks think nationalistic. Too, you know, I, you know, I'm gonna tell you something. You really want to see some racism. Uh, mm-hmm. The Memphis, Tennessee, I think it's the ninth district congressional district race between Cohen and uh, Ford, who was a black uh, congressperson, and Ford retired. The senior, his son ran, and then this white guy, okay. who is the representative now, Cohen, he ran. You should, you should. Uh, read the recorded verbiage that was going back where people were saying, well, he's white. He can't represent us. Now, if if whites were to say that about somebody black, they would be throwing, blacks would be throwing a racism card all over the place. But that happens His, all the time. You had Donald Trump say that he could not allow a Mexican judge to oversee the court case regarding his his a case that was against him because the guy was a Mexican and, and it was going to be biased against him because of his views on Mexico. But anyway, look, we're down for the last couple of minutes. We're going to go ahead. And yeah, maybe I'll call in earlier next I'm, time. Yeah, do that. But I'm happy to hear you safe and uh, feeling good, but keep on fighting. I'll talk to you later. All right, Pianki, thanks for calling in. And, everybody, thank you guys for listening in today. I'm back. Like I said, I'm feeling better. We're going to do the damn thing. Read. Read. And, again, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. I appreciate you. Like I said, we are Black Free Thinkers, but not the Kanye kind. And as for me and my Black Free Thinkers, we shall read books. Good night, everybody.